For you don't know me, my name is Um, so we'll see if we can get this right. If not, we'll switch to a different mic. Uh, not so much for you. I have a pretty loud voice, uh, but often for the people online, that's uh, needed there. For those of you online, if you're listening regularly and something's wrong with the sound, it's probably my fault too, just so you know. Uh, but it's good to be up front with you here, uh, to be sharing again today. And it's been a while since I've been able to do that. Uh, for those of you, like I said, I've been involved in ministry for a lot of years, various parts from sound to children to youth, very little children, um, not little children, but uh, just a little bit of children's ministry, not a whole lot, uh, just mostly supporting. And um, it, like I said, I, Kyle asked me to come up and share with you today as we continue our blessed series, and he wanted me to teach, uh, to share with you on the, the theme of listen, how to listen and I think that's a little ironic because my wife tells me I never listen. So, which, which is totally not true that I don't listen. It's that when she says something to me, I just immediately forget it. And so I'm a really good listener. I just forget what I've been told, if you get that. Uh, and so as we see this this morning, as we get into this, we're going to be looking briefly at this passage here where Jesus encounters a blind man. And when we look at it, it's hard to see in here sometimes how that's really about Jesus listening because he's walking down the road, the people are surrounding him, there's a blind man who goes, hey, what's going on? And then they say, it's Jesus, and he hears that and he's like, Jesus, I need you, I want help, have God have mercy on me. So he's asked Jesus to have mercy on him. And uh, some people say to him, hey, be quiet which is not really the best response to somebody who's calling out to Jesus. And I hope we never do that, either by actively or passively, by not being available for them. And I think that's the goal of this series, right? To share, to really bless people and help them know and connect with the God who does listen to us, too. And so Jesus has this encounter with him. He says, bring him over. He's this blind man who's sitting on the side of the road and asking Jesus to have mercy on him. And he, Jesus responds with this when they bring him up. He says, what do you want from me? That, that's kind of an odd question, right? You think about this. You look at Jesus. He knows, if, even if he doesn't know all, if we, we think there's a limitation there. But we know that he understands people's thoughts from other scripture and knows what's going on. Um, and so he, he has this knowledge. But also just looking at the situation, I'm sure Jesus can evaluate what this guy wants. But Jesus says, what do you want? He asks him because he wants to hear from this man what his needs are. He wants to hear the truth about what's going on or what he's caring for, what's important to him. I think this is important as we think about last week and we continue to think about how we pray. And we often get this question, does uh, God, if we need to tell God, does God need us to tell him what we want, he might already know. And it's really not about the knowledge or the understanding. It's about God listening to us and hearing us and connecting with us. And that's just a powerful, powerful moment. And so as we get into this series, we see this with Jesus kind of blessing people and listening in this moment. And so the, part of the reason uh, Kyle asked me to, to share today, too, is that not only do I help with sound and uh, that kind of stuff, but I also am a hospice chaplain. And I spend a lot of time listening to people. In fact, there's a, a process. I, sometimes we think about hospice. When you think about hospice, we think about people who are dying, which is that's part of what it is. 
And sometimes you think you're going to go in and people are just going to tell you they want to live and want to be cured and want you to pray for them to be healed all the time. The reality is that's actually pretty rare. You'd be surprised how little people ask me to pray for them to be healed. It's very uncommon. And it's, I'm not saying it's not, it's maybe 10% of the people who go through that. Because you're going through this journey. And so you, part of it is for me when I go in is to listen to them. And, and so to make sure I'm understanding what is it that's on their heart? What's going on with them? I think the other thing we think of with hospice and especially chaplains is that we are going in at that very last moment, right? The person's taking their last breath. You got to hurry up and get over here and pray for them because they're about to die. Uh, that is actually a very small percentage also of what we do. In fact, I'd say the majority of people who pass um, in hospice who, are, who I'm doing care for, rarely do I go at the very end of life because part of our journey is preparing for that end of life, making sure that they are ready for when it comes, that they are ready for whatever is going to go on, that whatever is struggling, they're struggling with, whatever is going on, if they're struggling with something, many aren't, that we deal with that beforehand. It's not uncommon for people to last six months and sometimes even two years. I have patients who've been on hospice for a couple of years, some who've gone off and who come back on. And so we do this. What we do is we journey with people through this end of life. We spend time listening and sharing and people telling me their stories. And um, one of the things that happens is you learn to listen, right? And that's part of what the training we do. We do a lot of training. It's not just besides advanced degrees for most chaplains. Um, there is about 1,600 hours of training that we go through. That's a year of full-time training just to learn how to listen to people. Now, it, it, and when I say that, that sounds like a lot, but it's not just learning how to listen. It's un trying to understand about yourself and what's happening. I, I want to tell you again, I'm not an expert on listening. Um, I'm not perfect at it. In fact, to be honest with you, I do it a lot better at work than I do in my personal life, my personal time. And that's because when I'm going to someone's house, right, I'm preparing, I'm going there to listen. I've prepared myself, I've gotten ready, I'm making sure I've set the time up or know that I'm going in. And so that's what I'm there to do is sit and listen. So it's a lot easier in my personal life than, excuse me, my professional life than my personal life. And that's because listening is not a talent, it's not, excuse me, not a gift, something that only a few people have. Listening is a learned skill. It's something that any of us can do, any of us know how to do. And when I say listening, just actually listening, hearing people beyond just sitting there and letting them talk at you. And so um, as we, excuse me, as we get in there, we see that listening takes some skill. Jesus reminds us of this, and he says this a lot, to tell you the truth. And, and there's a number of places where he says versions of this. But in the parable of the sower, at the end of the parable of sower, in the end of his explanation, he uses this phrase. He said, talked about all the seed that's gone out and the different ways people respond. And then he uses this phrase in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. He says, he, whoever has ears, let them hear. Let anyone who has ears listen. Now, the reality is, is most of us have ears, right? I, I think I've, every time I've read this passage, I've always, even now, I'm still intrigued by it because, and I know what he's doing there, it, it, but I'm intrigued by it because the way he says it is everyone has ears. And what he's telling us in some ways is that there's a choice of whether we're going to listen to this. And, and what he's saying is listen carefully, all of those. And so there's various places he uses this phrase several times 
But we're reminded here that listening is a choice. And there were people who followed Jesus who made that choice and people who didn't. We see lots of crowds coming around. You see people following him. We see people wanting to be healed. He feeds thousands of people at a time. And then at his death, they're, they're screaming for him to be killed, not to be cared for. And so we see Jesus reminding us here that listening is a choice and hearing him and really hearing others is a choice. Is that let anyone who has ears listen. This idea of listening carefully or whatever other variations he has on it. And so what we need to know is choosing to listen is one way we show God and our neighbor that we care. Let me say that again. Choosing to listen to someone is one way we show God and our neighbor that we care. This is important for us to know that people hear us, right? When this is in this passage that we're listening, we see this Jesus, the, Jesus is walking along, crowds around. This guy is shouting out, I need some help. And a bunch of people, people are leading away, says, hey, you need to sit down and shut up. That's basically what they're saying. Sit down and shut up. We don't need you. We got important stuff to do. And so here, they're showing they don't care because they're not listening to his need, what he wants. And Jesus turns that around. And so when we think about listening to our neighbor, I'm reminded of Job. And there's in this passage, if you don't know the book of Job, it's one of the oldest stories in scripture. It was uh, in oral tradition long before it was written down. And it's believed to be the, one of the oldest stories in scripture. And Job is a man who loved God and then was tested because of some argument between Satan and God. And he loses everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Job loses his health, his, all his stuff, his family, everyone he loves. He has boils and pain and struggles and suffering. And he's going through all these things. And this is the story of Job. is just Job walking that journey and his connection to God and some things that happen. And while Job is going through that, while he's going through a really difficult time, some pain and loss, three of Job's friends show up. And they start out really well. They start out really well because they sit with Job for seven days and just mourn with him without saying a word, which is a really great thing to do because sometimes it's not about the words, it's about being present. But then after those seven days, they decide they're going to fix Job's problem, right? They're going to make it like, Job, you got some problems, we're going to fix it, we're going to tell you everything that you need to do to get it. And all, here's Job, here's really what we're going to do, we're going to tell you everything you did wrong and what your problem is, Right? And I don't know about you, but if I'm hurting and I'm in pain, I don't want to go to a friend and have them be, oh, look, I'm glad you're here. I got some things to tell you about what you do wrong, right? That's not what we're looking for. We're, we want somebody to experience this. In power, and there's a powerful verse in the midst of this. Job is talking to them. They're trying to fix it, tell him all the things he's done wrong. He's discoursing back and forth. And as you read through the, the chapters in chapter 20, there's a lot of conversation there, some theological treatises about what they believe about God. And then there's this, at the very beginning of Job chapter 31, verse 35, and I'm going to call it 3135a. We're only going to read just a little bit of that part. Job says something really powerful that sticks out to me in the midst of his pain and his suffering and his sorrow and the things he's going through. He says this, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. If only someone would hear me, hear my case, 
right? He says, oh, if I only had someone to hear me. This is what's important. Job is in suffering, and he just wants somebody to listen, right? Now, that's hard for some of us, right? How many of you are fixers, right? You're like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the three options that you can take to fix whatever problem you're going through and to make it happen. And I'm good at that. Kyle, I'm good at that, too. I I can walk through those scenarios with you all the time. I, I can do that. And so some of us have some trouble with that. But Job is in this place where he has some people who are trying to fix it for him, who are trying to tell him all that he's done wrong. And all he says is, man, I just want somebody to listen. That hit me when I was prepping for this. And I kept reading that over and over. It just hit me. Because I don't know about you. There have been lots of times in my life where I just felt that way. I feel his pain and his anguish in the midst of his suffering and the things he's going through. He says, I just need someone to listen. And I feel it. I feel his pain. I... Uh, Kyle shared with me in this series a little chapter about this from uh, the book. uh, Oh, gosh, I lost his name uh, who wrote it. But um, one of the things he wrote, he has this little formula in there. And he says for people to be unheard and unknown makes them feel unloved. To be unheard and unknown equals unloved. Which in this case, I'm reading through this, is what Job is feeling. He's feeling unheard and unloved, and he's feeling uh, just the sorrow of being uncared for in the midst of this. That feeling alone and unloved, I think a lot of us feel that way. I think the irony, honestly, is of big cities, and not that Vancouver is big. I come from L.A., but the bigger city the city is, whether it's L.A. or Portland or even Vancouver, that the bigger the city, the more people you are surrounded by, the more isolated you are. It's statistically the harder it is to make friends, to be connected, and the less friends you have. Because of the big city, you can get lost in the middle of, of all the people going on and the time and the busyness and all the things that are happening there. And there's an irony in that. But the good thing is if the formula is unheard plus unknown equals unloved, that there's an opposite formula there. That, that if we listen and know somebody, that they can feel loved. That simply listening... To someone, to know them, can help them feel loved. Here's one of the things about being a hospice chaplain uh, in, in all that's been, especially in the medical industry, is I don't fix anything. Like my whole job, I never fix anything for anyone, right? I can't go in and, like I said, heal somebody of their sickness. In fact, that's not the goal. The end of life, making sure they're journeying. But we don't fix. We don't make them healthy or do those things, the end is going to ultimately end in death. And yet the process of what we do is so powerful because we come in to listen so that people feel known and loved. And sometimes in the midst of that, what we do to intervene, to help and to support is so powerful that can lift incredible anguish and pain and sorrow in people's lives and the things that they are going through. In fact, one of our, we have charting like lots of medical things that we do one of the things that we do that's an actual intervention uh, intervention that we put that is, uh, I guess, technically part of our service is that we do something uh, called non-judgmental presence. That's all it is, non-judgmental presence. We just come and listen. We just come and spend time with people. 
And I can't tell you the amount of times that doing that has lifted weight and pain and sorrow. And we have actually have been able to then walk through some specific things that needed to be done. Reuniting family members, reconnecting people, helping people know that what they're going through is okay and that they're ready for the end of life. I think it's so powerful that it doesn't, in, in technical terms like we think in this world and what the rest of our medical teams do is to prepare and to heal and to make better. We don't do that. We just help people make sure that their end of life is consistent with their beliefs and values and what's important to them so that as they prepare to step into eternity that they are ready for what's to come, that they have said their goodbyes, that they've made uh, um, reconciled with family members or whatever we do. So what we do is that we just listen. We come in and we listen. And that starts with a choice. We have to choose, as I said. And it starts as we start this series. We're doing the Bless series. We talk about blessing our neighbor. It really begins with us yeah, making that choice, being ready, make, deciding as a church and as an individual that says, I am going to bless my neighbor. I'm going to participate in this, not because it's cool or fun, because God calls us to bless other people so that they might know and experience the goodness and the love of God. And I, Kyle said it last week, it starts with prayer. It starts with you and getting yourself ready and for praying for them. But as you pray, to pray for yourself. One of the things that happens in chaplaincy that we do is we spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves. The actual listening part is not something that we do a ton of. We do some training and some stuff like we do here. We do it over the year process. But what we really do is look internally on what's happening in me. Am I ready to listen, to hear their pain and their anguish, to struggle with them, to, to help them journey through it? And so I, I think we need to make sure that we're ready and, and that really it's a decision to bless others. I, we might say this differently, it's, and we're, we're, we're saying it this way now for the church, but we've been saying it for a long time under this value that we have of give over get, Right? The give over get is exactly what we're talking about when we bless others. We want to get them. doesn't mean we won't be blessed. with them. we won't experience, but our goal is to give over getting. And so that's what we're here to do. And I, as I'm going to share with you some practical tips, some of you who are like, I, I, just tell me how to listen, Fred. And so just tell me what to do, and I'll do it so I can listen. And I'll give you some of those. But I'm going to start with some things that they're not listening. You know, what are some things that are, don't make you a good listener? The gift of gab does not make you a good listener, right? Maybe you've experienced this. You go to someone, you're, you're, you're hurting, you're telling them their story, and you're, you're like, man, I did this this week, and it was really bad at work. And they're like, well, you should think about what happened at work to me because and then they just keep going for the next 10 minutes, and you're like, I was never heard. They didn't hear a word I said. Now, maybe you listen to them, which is powerful. But so problem, we need to stop and get ourselves. It's not just gift of gab. Good salespeople are not people who talk a lot. They're people who listen. Because they want to be, I don't know if you've ever go, gone to buy a car and you're like, you know, I'm really looking for a red sedan that gets good gas mileage. And next thing you know, they're putting you in a black lifted truck, you know. <laughs> and you're like, that's not anything like a lot. You buy it anyways because it's cool. But it's not what you wanted, right? Uh, at least I would. The other thing, it's not, it's not having all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers to listen. In fact, you don't have to have any answers to listen. You can know nothing and just hear the person and be able to go, oh, man, and just be with them in that moment. You don't have, have any answers. In the, in the chapter that I got from Kyle, uh, there's a, a book, it references another book, actually, 
that says, called Jesus is the question by a guy named Copenhaver. And he said that it, Jesus was asked 307 questions in the gospel and only gave three direct answers. He was asked 307 questions and only gave three direct answers. And the, this idea that Jesus, you ask him a question and he's just going to out, that he only did that three times. Usually he's asking, you know, well, tell me about it. He breaks up into a parable or gets, them, gets people thinking for themselves and processing. So it's not having all the answers. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a little secret, that if you listen to people, people will think you have all the answers. I, I did youth ministry for a long time, uh, years ago when I was in California, and I had lots of kids. And I remember they all used to say, Fred knows everything. He always knows what's going on. And the reason that they thought that was because I would just listen to what they told me, and I would repeat it back to them. And, and that's, we'll get into that, that's reflective listening. So they always thought, so here was the great thing. If something bad happened, they just came up and told me and assumed I already knew about it. So I, I did kind of know what was going on because they would always come and just think I already know. And so they started talking. So it's not, but it's not having all the answers. You don't have to have any answers to listen to anyone. The other thing it's not is not waiting to speak, right? This is a big one where we're having a conversation is you're talking to someone or someone's talking to you and they're telling you about their day and you just remembered that great thing that happened to you last month and how cool it is. And you, But you're going to be really good because you're a good listener. So you're holding off. You're like, okay, they're not done yet. They're not done yet. They're not done yet. They're not done yet. They're not, oh, they're taking a breath. Right? That's not, that's not good listening. Waiting your, now, waiting your turn is a good thing, especially in Bible study and groups and those kinds of things. But it's not good listening. Really listening and going, I'm doing, and so sometimes we have to have this place where we're like, I just need to, and that's why focusing on yourself internally is so important when listening. What's happening in me? Why do I need to tell that story? Why do I have the need to say all these things so much? And so to really focus on yourself. I love, I, I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd, and I don't know if anybody, how many of you have seen the movie Pacific Rim? Any, okay, all right, a few of you. Yeah, there's enough of you who are willing to admit it. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, incredible movie. But the movie has this series, this thing they call their giant robots. They're, um, they're there to fight these aliens that are coming in. And in order to, to control the robots, it takes at least two people with their brains inside, connected. Um, they call it, I think it's swim, in the rift or whatever it is. But their brains are connected so that they're working together, each one working half of the robot. But they have to be in sync. So they're like each half of the brain. But the problem is in this movie is that when they go to sync together, that they share memories and all the things that are happening. I'm just going to tell you, you're getting, if you've seen the movie, you know. They share memories and all this. But one of the problems is those memories often collide and create issues and all these things. And so in one part of the movie, there comes one of the guys has to go with Idris Elba. I love him. He's amazing. Uh, but they're, they're going, they have to go with him. He goes, what makes you think? we'll be able to sync together to fight to be in this robot. And Idris Elba says is because when I come into the drift, I bring nothing. And he said, there's nothing in my mind. I'm there to be in that moment in the drift. And when we want to listen, now for us it's hard, but to at least recognize, like, oh, man, I'm hurting. I, I'm, I'm in pain myself. Their story that they're telling reminds me of mine. I'm not going to tell them all of my story, but I'm going to listen and empathize and be with them in that moment. I'm not going to put myself in there, but I'm going to take in their story. And it's okay to come if you recognize the appropriate times to share. There's so much that I don't share and that we it's not time to share. So with all that said, I think we see some 
Another one in verse uh, 39 when we get in chapter 18 where the bad listening was not even thinking about them, telling the guy to shut up. We know that one. I didn't need to include that one. But so how do we listen? Now, uh, I didn't, this isn't one that I personally use specifically. It's something called motivational interview. Now, I haven't used this motivational interview specifically or, or learned it, but I like the way they structured it because it's a pretty basic way of listening and understanding someone. And when it says interview, it doesn't mean we're actually interviewing the person as what we do. We're not trying to do counseling, but it's a good model of how to do it. If you take notes, this would be a good time. You can also look at a motivational interview online. But the first, they call it ORs. There's four things that help you when you're doing, when you're listening to someone. The first one is an open-ended question, right? So you start with this motivational interview. You start with ORs, open-ended question. It's pretty simple. You know, if I went up to you and was like, hey, um, was yesterday a good day? Your, your response is typically yes or no, right? And if I ask you, you know, what was yesterday like for you? That might get more stories, right? You're, getting, you're opening it up so it's not just a simple answer. Do you like beef? No. Or what kind of meat do you like? Or whatever it is, is this open-ended questions. I like using the words how or what. Um, in the beginning to kind of get people to know, what do you think about that? How do you feel? What's it like to go through that? Those kinds of things. I think, and then you need to give people some space, some space to talk. I think it's important to remind, remember that not everybody has an instant answer, especially when you're asking them about stuff, about their life and some difficult things. Sometimes it takes some time to wait. So you just give them, and you have to learn to be okay with silence. And part of the reason we're not okay with silence is because of what's inside, right? And that's why we work so hard to figure out what's happening inside of us. And your head, in your brain, you could be going a million miles an hour, right? You can think of all the things that you're struggling with or your own pain. But outside, you're just waiting to listen. I can tell you how powerful this is. And I know a number of our chaplains have had this experience. But I had one where I got a, a patient um, that was already on when I came on. I went to visit the patient. Uh, this was when I was really new at chaplaincy. And I went to visit the patient, and they weren't talking. Their body was folded in on themselves. They were kind of at this place where they weren't really able to communicate. It was real new, and I started just kind of um, visiting there. When I'd visit, it would just be a few minutes because there was no conversation. And after about two to three months of that, I thought, you know, I, I need to build some connections. And this is this because this person couldn't talk. I would go in and just share about my own life. They couldn't respond. They couldn't act. They you would barely see them move. And I would share about my own life. And I'd take out pictures of my cats and my dogs, my nieces and my wife, and just show them. And I did that for a few months. And I just would share and then give space. And I would always ask questions. And I was always, you know, and they would just never respond. And then one day I asked, "Do you like cats or dogs better?" And I saw her look at me. Her eyes just turned at me. And I went, oh, you like cats? Barely see it. Barely move. And I just gave her the space and the time. I got to tell you, about three months later, she had spoke a whole sentence to me. And the nurse, I said something to the nurse about it. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I just gave her the space to spend some time talking and get her opportunity. And so then from then on, the, the sentence was uh, for a little bit on both sides. She's able to do a little less. And, and then she just kind of got to the point where she couldn't anymore and she passed away. And I got to tell you, I grieved that relationship. 
Because that was a person who at first couldn't talk to me, but we built a relationship, a connection by sharing life together. And so it's important to give people space. When I, my opener, when I say talk to people, is just, hey, what's going on with you? When I go into somebody's house and they're dying, right, they're on hospice. We all know what that means. That means they're dying. And so it seems like a really odd question. Wait, hey, what's going on with you? You'd be surprised. Probably only about 30% tell me I'm dying. They tell me about their family or what they did. Or, and so here's what I know now. If I walk into you and you're dying and I say, what's going on? And you're like, oh, my nieces were here. My grandkids were here over the weekend. It was great. We had a great I know what's more important than dying to you, right? I, I just figured that out. I know what you're like. If you're like, if you're like oh, nothing. I, or I haven't talked to I mean, reunited family. So it's just this open-ended question that's not about how people feel uh, physically or their health. It's about what's going on, what's in your mind. When I was in youth ministry, I shared this earlier. We used to have a saying that ministry happens on the back of a boat. And the reason we said that is because usually when the depth of conversations would happen between our leaders and our students was not in church or in service or any of that. It's when we were spending time with them, just hearing their story, participating in their life, and just sitting there talking. And we would hear the depth of what was happening. And my leaders were always, myself too, were always amazed at what would happen in the connections we build in that moment. So the first one is open-ended questions. The second one is affirmation. Saying positive things. I don't know about you, but we live in a pretty negative world, right? Like this is one of those things. We live in a pretty negative world. And sometimes when people are telling us their story too, we can focus on the negative. But we can say positive things. Talk about it. Oh, it sounds like. Somebody's saying something, oh, it sounds like you worked really hard on that project, you know? It sounds like you did this. You, hey, oh, man, you really love these things. You really, you know, just kind of really positive things. Even when things are bad, somebody tells you, I did this project at work, I worked hard, I spent six weeks on it, and then my boss takes credit, right? Boss said, you, maybe you've experienced that, and you're like, oh, that really stinks, but it sounds like you worked really hard and you're a great worker, right? Just kind of giving people positive things to think about. I had a patient when I was working in the hospital, before I did hospice news, I had a patient who was just given a six-month diagnosis. I walked in and sat down with him, and just started. he just started talking, and the subject we came on, he wanted to talk about his son. And in the hospital, it's a bit more fast-paced than what I do in the hospice, where I can sit and talk for two hours sometimes. Hospital's a bit quicker, and so he just started sharing, and I could see kind of this tension that he had, and a lot of times I'm thinking there's an estrangement from the son, there's some kind of conflict, the death, whatever is going on. And he sat there for almost an hour and would continually tell me about his sons and how they grew up and how he raised them and what he had done and even got to the point where he was talking about that he was telling them that he was dying. And I remember the whole time in the back of my head, there's lots of conversations going on in my head, I'm thinking, where's the conflict? Where, where is it? What's going on? Where, I see the tension, I can feel it. I know there's something wrong, and I, I actually at one point wanted to just ask him, like, hey, what's the issue? Get, let's get, let me fix it for you. Let's get down to the issue, right? And so he keeps talking, gets to this point, and he tells me this whole story about then how he told his sons that he was dying and they had been there and this stuff, and I'm waiting and there's nothing, and then he just takes a breath and lets it go, and I was like, oh, there was no conflict. And I just turned to the guy and said, wow, it sounds like you did an amazing job raising your kids and preparing them for your death. And he looked at me, and the tension just released. 
He laid back. He's like, really? He's like, yes. It was a powerful, powerful moment. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Because all I did was listen and just affirm that what he had done was good. And it was. He had done a great, great job. I, I think we, we have to remember that a lot of times in our world, especially we're becoming so negative, it's great to affirm people. It sounds like you're great at what you do. You're a great job. sounds like you did a great job with your kid. I, I, this sounds really weird, and I'm always awkward when I say it, but I, I, you'd be surprised how many adults, people older than me, I tell that I'm proud of them. I tell a lot of people that I'm proud of them, and it's always taken with a sense of love and, and compassion because they've done such a great job. And I think we miss telling people that we're proud of them. This is my personal thing, and because as I said that, it reminded me this week. I was watching a video, um, and excuse the way I say this, but it was this big, old, tough, redneck guy, giant beard, big hair, scruffy, the whole bit. And he was talking. His son came over to do something, and I watched, and he put his arms around his son, and he said, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And I just broke. Because we don't do that enough. I didn't hear that enough in my own life. And we may not be related. We may not be connected. But we can tell people that we love them and we're proud of them. Here's an affirmation I got this morning. As I was preparing myself uh, uh, this morning, I was in the prayer room. I don't know if you've been in there. It's great. It's a great place to pray. If you're going to pray and worship and sing at the same time, probably close the door. Um, <laughs> some people heard me this morning, apparently, and I feel sorry for you. Um, but I remember I was doing some worship, and I was the song that I've heard many times. Just I remember this lyric stood out very powerfully, and I think I'm supposed to share it with you today. And it's simply this, that you have never been more loved by God than you are right now. You have never been more loved by God than you are right now. Because God's love doesn't change about how good you are, how you listen. God loves you fully so much that he gave his son for you. And so we need to affirm that and remind people of that, and I think we need to share that. So I am giving you oars, the O, uh, open and ended affirmation. Oh, they're up there. Sorry, I don't need to do that. Uh, reflection is the third one. Just reflecting back. If somebody tells you something, you can repeat the words to them, or you can paraphrase it, you know. Oh, man, I was driving here this morning, and, boy, this car came 70 miles an hour right in front of me, and, and, and it was really bad. And you can be like, oh, man, that sounds like it was really scary, you almost getting hit by a car. Just something so they go, oh, yeah, you're listening to me. And sometimes you can say, like, hey, I thought I heard you say this. I wear hearing aids, so I'm really hard of hearing. Um, and so listening is one of those other ironic things as I'm talking this morning. It's harder in big groups than it is one-on-one, -on -one, but... But a lot of times I'll reflect something back and I'll, I'll, I'll give, give kind of a, that sounds scary. And they're like, no, I laughed it off because I did that to somebody last week or whatever it is. But that reflection makes sure that you're understanding and hearing right what people are telling you. And then finally is summarize. Just, and, you know, this is rare for kind of our conversations. But sometimes when you're done, it's like, man, it was great to talk to you. I loved you telling me the story of and this happened to you and how your wife is doing so much better or whatever it is or how your friends are or coming and surrounding you, whatever it is. But you just summarize the conversation really briefly. And that way, it's another affirmation that you were listening to them, you know your story, and you remind you about it. 
as we go through this, so that's the ors. It's pretty simple. I think it just takes practice. There's no, nobody's gifted listeners. It's a learned skill, and some of that learned that through our culture and our families and other stuff, but it is a learned skill. Because the goal is not just listening. The goal is to bless people. And if we listen well, we can bless them in powerful ways. I, I think listening shows value. It shows value from you and from Jesus when you listen to people's stories. And it shows that they're worthy. I want you to know that your story matters, that other people's story matters, and that we need to be listening so that we can bless others. Because just like for us, that we are never more loved than we are right now, that that God is available to everyone and we need to let them know that their story over sin is why Jesus died on the cross and gave his life for them. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, for the blessing that you give us. Lord, I thank you that you care for us so much that you listen to us, that you hear us, Lord, and that you call us to hear and listen to others. Lord, may you bless us as we bless others. May we live out, give over get. And be reminded that people's story over their sin is why we're living the value of Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross and showing his love. It's in your mighty name that I pray. Amen.